The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're going to be uh, all over. The, I've been putting the texts for your sermons, a handful of them, in on the back of your bulletin, so you can have those there. Uh, the reason for that is because I know that there are different Bible translations and things going on. Uh, I wanted you to be able to follow along. This week we're talking about Satan and demons and the schemes of Satan. You can imagine uh, the type of week that is had when you start studying and reading book after book after book about Satan. It is an odd subject. And as we're in this hiatus between seasons of Corinthians, we, I ranted about the Bible last week. And this week I want to talk about the schemes of Satan and spiritual warfare because I believe in our current Christian culture, we often disregard the way that Satan works against us. In, in C.S. Lewis's books, one of, in Screwtape Letters, he writes that the humanity has two errors about our beliefs regarding demons and the Satan. And that is, one is to disbelieve their existence or ability to work in our lives. And the other one is to overemphasize them, to believe that there is Satan around every single corner and to attribute all bad and malice things to a direct act of Satan's hand, where in the Bible the truth lies somewhere in between. I think in our culture we tend to ignore and disbelieve the scheme, so I want to pray and then we're going to jump into quite a few scriptures this morning regarding the Satan, the adversary, the accuser, the serpent, the devil, the evil one, the dragon, the liar, the deceiver, the destroyer, and how we can overcome his schemes against our lives. Father, give us in this moment clarity and vision to see the realities that exist around us or to know them in our spirit so that when we encounter darkness and evil, we will know how to fight. Lord, help us to not fall into the trap of disbelieving the powers of spiritual darkness and evil and help us to not fall into the trap of attributing all things to Satan and his followers. Help us rather, Lord, to be people of your word who understand with open eyes and hearts that there is a reality, there is a dimension that is laid on top of our own that we cannot see. And there are beings who are plotting to deceive us and destroy us and draw us from you. So grant us your strength, grant us your armor, grant us your wisdom, grant us your vision in this area of spiritual warfare. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. There was a man of God named Elisha, and he had a servant, and they were being chased by a king from place to place, but they always received word early, and they got out, and they were safe. And this king of Aram became enraged. And one night, Elisha and his servant went to bed. And I can imagine uh, if Elisha is your master, he's done amazing miracles, and you get to be his servant. You get to watch this man of God do things that, that natural people weren't doing. And you feel pretty good because you're avoiding this entire army, just the two of you, and you go to sleep that night. And I don't know about you, but I, I used to 
I used to love like seeing someone really cool and like kind of being in their presence. I remember in my childhood a few times, maybe some of you are like this, you meet someone that you look up to. And back in the day, this was before the controversies, I, I met Barry Bonds once on the sideline. Just dude had a head like a T-Rex. And I didn't know all the stuff. If you know who Barry Bonds is and you know why. But I got to meet him and I was, I was like middle schoolish or whatever age. I don't remember exactly how old I was. But I remember I shook his hand and his hand just swallowed my hand. And I was all into baseball back then. I thought, this is so cool. Barry Bonds is one of the best of all time. Best to ever do it. Just to be in, in his presence was so cool and have him talk. And I was just a kid, googly-eyed. And some of you maybe have met some of your people that you look up to in that way. I can't imagine being the person who got to be Elisha's servant. How much confidence would you have knowing that the person you're with could do incredible miracles, could heal you? You get the flu, you're healed. You, 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 you break your ankle, it's fixed. We need to go through this path. We need to escape this army. Let me talk to the Lord. Let me get my insider sources. We will make our way out. And that night they went to bed, and, and I'm sure, as I would be, just going to sleep the most confident you've ever slept, knowing that you have this person on your team. Well, the next morning, they woke up, and I, can, I could feel uh, the servant's heart just waking up, ah, stretching. I'm with Elisha. He's on God's team. But then looks out the window, and back then, everything's dusty because the, the houses are not made like our houses. So the, it says, early in the morning, where the, the dust is flickering in the light, he pokes his head out. In the city that they're in, he thought he was safe. He thought he was going to go down to bed and and wake up and everything would be fine because he was Elisha's servant, Elisha, the prophet of God, and he sees an army surrounding the city. He looks out one window, and he sees, and he begins to panic. He looks out the other side, and he sees more army and begins to panic, and he realizes the king who is enraged, the king who's come to kill us, they've surrounded the city. His heart starts beating in his chest, and he wakes up Elisha. He says, Elisha, we're dead. This guy that's been chasing us, God didn't tell us this time. The king didn't send a word. No messenger came. Elisha, they've surrounded us. What are we going to do? And Elisha didn't panic, stayed calm, just said something very odd that I've never heard anyone say to me. He said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see, so he can see what I see. Elisha motioned to the window to his servant. The servant walks over through that same window with the dust still flickering in the early morning light, and he peeks his head out, and he sees the army. But then above them on the ridge, he sees these beings on fire with chariots, and they outnumber this army that's in front of them. And these beings, they have fire in their eyes, they have fire around their feet, and they're encircling the entire Enemy army, the army of humans, is now being looked over by this army of angelic force. Instantly, the servant's heart lifts. Because it's like that moment where the kid's getting picked on in a fight. And then his big brother, who's seven feet tall, stands behind him, but he doesn't know that he's there. The kid knows, just like this servant knew, we're going to win. Some of you maybe don't believe or maybe have not thought about 
spiritual beings, that there is a reality laid on top of our reality. There are things invisible that interact with the things that are visible. The Bible calls these beings many names. And there is one of them, the Satan. I'm saying the Satan because technically Satan is not his name. It's, it's, a, it's a description. It means the adversary. I want to talk this morning, and I want us to think about what he does, who he is, and how we can overcome his schemes. And I'm going to give you some of his schemes that terrified me this week. From the outset, I want you to know that Satan, and this is a lot of, uh, I'll change it up, the devil, because you're going to notice all these D, D words I picked, because it's, it's what corny pastors do. The devil wants to distract you. The devil wants to discourage you. The devil wants you to be discontent. The devil wants to divide you against each other. The devil wants you to doubt. The devil wants to deceive you because ultimately the devil wants to destroy you. His name is Lucifer, which may just be another title because Lucifer means the morning star. Perhaps you've heard that name given to him. In 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us something very interesting because if I were to ask you what does Satan look like, what are you going to tell me? What does he look like? What color is he? What color is Satan? Red. What, is his, what kind of animal is often mingled with him? What kind of hairdo does he have? Spiky hair? Yeah. If you've watched any of the movies, sometimes he's in a suit. Sometimes he's stark bald. Sometimes he looks like a snake. He's always, in art from the 1800s, presented as this red-skinned, horned, tail, pitchfork guy, which is not Satan in the Bible at all. The Bible paints a very different picture of Satan. The Bible says, and I put these in your notes on the, on the little tearaway, there's two, there's two passages that speak about what Satan looked like and what happened before he fell. It's one's in Isaiah 14, the other one is in Ezekiel 28, and you could read those later. But it says that Satan was adorned with every gem, that he was beautiful and powerful, that he was a guardian cherub who walked with God, and he saw his own beauty, and he thought, I want to be worshipped. That was the first entry of evil and sin. Sin and evil are not entering in in these big, galactic, malice-filled ways. It starts with changing your worship from God to something else. And it began with Satan, Lucifer, the morning star. It says, still, to this day, he masquerades as an angel of light. So if you think that when you die, you're going to have some weird vision of a red-skinned, horned person, spiky hair, pitchfork that just has this demonic voice, if you think that that's how Satan would appear, the Bible says that he often appears as an angel of light. Because he is, after all, an angel who's fallen. Satan prowls this world on first, in uh, 1 John 5, 19. says, we know that we are of God, and the whole, but the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. John 12, 31 says, the ruler of this world. The title it gives to Satan, the ruler of this world. On Job, in the book of Job, chapter 1, Job is down on earth binding his own. And it says, Satan came to the courts. And the Lord said, where have you come from? And Satan said, I've been roaming the earth, just looking for people. Peter says that the devil prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Have you thought about that? 
prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. I've got two teenagers in my house right now. It's, it cracks me up because I, I haven't raised kids all the way up to teenagehood. I just, we got some temporary ones. And I remember being a teenager kind of, but it's different because we've been on Christmas break. And some of you with teenagers are going to appreciate this. These teenagers emerge from rooms and it looks like they just woke from hibernation. And they go to my refrigerator and they open up my refrigerator and they just stick their head in it. Like they can't see from two feet back. And all I hear is like a literal grumbling and a rustling of the food, looking for things that they would devour. And they'll grab food sometimes, and I'll see them grab a little pack of food, and they'll just walk back to their cave of doom. And I'll hear them, and they're making noises. And these are just teenage boys. But they're hungry, and they do this every day, somewhere around 1.30 when they arise from their slumber. Not, not my kids. I don't worry about it. I'm just, you do your own thing, teenager people. This is not that type of prowling. This is a prowling that is intentional. This is a prowling where the shoulders are going down into the grass and Satan is looking to destroy. He's looking to pounce. Ephesians tells us our struggle, Ephesians 6.12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers in, of this darkness, against evil, against spiritual forces in the heavens. Our struggle is not against just what we see. But so often, that's all we attribute it to. Any of you here have a problem with another person? Say amen. So a few of you have problems. I want to tell you today that no person, no zero people, zero people are your problem. You might think that, and I feel that sometimes. People are not the problem. The Bible is very clear that our battles, our issues, our things that will come against us are not from this realm. They are spiritual forces. Now, don't hear me wrong. People can be a pipe for your problems, but they're not the problem. You can try to change a person. You can try to look at someone as your enemy, but they are truly not the enemy, just as you are not theirs. There are spiritual forces and beings that are intentionally trying to guide and manipulate to pull you away from God, to get you to doubt, to get you to be divided. These are Satan's schemes. In that passage where it talks about the devil prowling, Peter tells us, be alert, be sober-minded, be clear-thinking, resist him, firm in the faith. Not firm in how much you know, not firm in how much you worship and sing, not firm in how many Bible studies to go to, firm in the faith. Where you put your faith will determine how you battle and how you come out of those battles scathed or unscathed. So here are the types of schemes I just want to go through. Now, this book is, is an incredible book. It's by an old Puritan named Thomas Brooks. I, I don't, usually don't recommend Puritan books because when you read them, they're very dense. But this one is called uh, Satan's Schemes and Remedies for Them. And it just goes through things that Satan does to attack us. And it's all based on God's word. And I just picked out some of my favorite ones because I read some of these and I thought, that's happened to me. That's happened to me. Now, there are two categories. How many categories? Two. One is temptation. What's the one? The other one is accusation. What is that one? What's the first one? Second one? Okay. Now, there are more, but I'm gonna, I just want to do these two for today. 
Temptation is the things that Satan does to draw you toward himself, to, to lure you in. Accusations are the things that Satan does. And the reason I chose these two is because they've happened to me and I see them happening widespread amongst believers. Accusations are the things that Satan lobs into your mind and heart that, that begin to cause you to doubt or to divide or to be discouraged. So let's do temptation number one. Here's a temptation for you. This one got me because I love fishing. Satan will often present the bait, the big, beautiful bait, and he will hide the hook. The reason I like this one is, A, I'm a fisherman. I went out fishing this week to the Skyway, and, uh, and nobody was catching fish on either side of me and my brother. When we go fishing, it's just us, and we have a good, raucous time. We don't invite people. It's just he and I. And we went out there, and we start fishing. And I was like, this ain't working. Let's try another, let's try another lure. And then all of a sudden, we found what worked for the fish that were out there. And for two and a half hours straight, we could not stop pulling fish onto the skyway. Pulling fish onto the skyway. And people kept coming up to us, what are you using for bait? And we lied to them every single time. How are you catching all these fish? It's just the Lord. He told us to cast on this side instead of that side. And literally, over and over, people are watching us, and we're laughing, pulling up the fish. Oh, I got another one. And we're constantly competing because we're brothers. And that day, we, we caught over like 20-something fish. Uh, we, kept, we kept 19 of them. And we brought them all home, just piles of piles of free meat. And I, I thought of, at one point, I thought, these fish are so dumb. Literally, it's the same lure that I was using, or was it live bait? You'll never know. It was a lure. And we didn't move spots. And I thought, if something ripped into my cheek and then threw me back in my neighborhood and I got a good look at it, I'd tell people, don't bite that thing. It did something to me. Because we caught some and threw some back. We, after a while, we were catching so many, we, we didn't want to catch, like, keep just the ones that were just legal. We wanted the big, fat ones. So we were throwing fish back. I thought, these fish are so dumb, because we're just standing here, same thing. And I thought, if, if only these fish could understand that that is not going to be a good ending for them. As a matter of fact, one of the fish I caught got exploded upon by a dolphin. dolphin came up and <laughs> launched the fish into the air. I saved it. Don't worry, dolphin lovers. It didn't get my hook. Another fish, when I pulled it out, fell off the hook. And my brother goes, watch the pelican, because a pelican was coming in to eat it. And I went and kicked the pelican in the throat, in my mind. We do the same, Satan does the same thing with us. And the scary thing is, is that Satan is not, Satan is not less intelligent than me. He is, in the, in the terms of worship and faith, he puts his faith and worship in the wrong things. But when I wasn't catching a fish... I changed the bait. First, I tried live bait. I put it down on the bottom here. That didn't work. So then I went to a live bait and cut it up the cylinder. I throw it out there. And then that didn't work. I was like, okay, no one's catching anything. They're all using this live bait. I see down there, I'm going to try a lure. That one didn't work. I'm going to try this lure. Ooh, this one works. If I jig it this way, it works even better. If I cast it out on this side of the waves and bring it in this way, it works even better. If you don't think Satan is as smart as a dumb fisherman in his late 30s on the Skyway Pier, you're out of your mind. He knows the bait that will get you. And he knows how to hide the hook. And he will make it look beautiful for you. And it's not going to come in the form of some red-skinned, horned person with a pitchfork saying, your life is mine. That's not it. 
It's not The Exorcist. It's not Anthony Hopkins. It's not any of these weird movies that are out there portraying things that are crawling on ceilings, although I don't doubt that could happen. How Satan is going to get you is to put out bait that will look good to you, that will be a temporary satisfying thing until the hook is set. It's going to come under the guise of, this is a great promotion for you. Why? Well, because it's more money. And why do we need more money? Because, of course, money is what God wants to bless us with. And maybe that's a hook. I've had quite a few people cry on my shoulder because they didn't have money. And I've had more people in total devastation weeping on my shoulder because they lost a lot of money or because the money pressure piled up so much on them that they didn't know what to do. When the economy crashes, it's not the poor people like me. I'm not jumping out of a building. It's the bankers. But Satan has the lures. For you, it might be money. For you, it might be family. For you, it might be sports. Whatever it is, it, he puts that bait out, and the hook is in there. I was so happy. Here's how I know I get distracted. My Steelers didn't make the playoffs. Boo-hoo. But you know who lost already? Makes me so happy. That's how I know that the Lord is good. The Patriots lost to the Tennessee Titans. <laughs> if you don't believe in spiritual warfare, that. Because here's the thing. Uh, not only will Satan present the, the bait and hide the hook, Satan will paint sin with virtue's colors. In our culture, I picked that one because it's particularly good. You know how when you write your resume uh, or you go to a job interview and they say, what are your weaknesses? And you say something dumb. Well, my weakness is, is that I'm, I'm just so punctual and I'm like hyper-organized, like too organized. Satan will paint sin with virtue's colors. Instead of calling it greed, we'll call it thriftiness. Instead of calling it just outright, like I, I'm self-centered, we'll call it pride. But in a positive sense, oh, yes, I've, I've taken great pride in this. Instead of calling things coveting, one of the Ten Commandments, coveting, wanting something that's not yours, not being content, we'll just call it driven. Instead of calling it manipulative or controlling, we'll just say, well, I've got a strong personality. Satan will get us to paint sin with the color of a virtue to make us feel better about ourselves, to hide the sin so that it can still rot away in a corner of our heart. Satan will tell us that repentance is easy and you could just repent later. Just re repent later. You could sin now and just go to God and say, God, forgive me. I know you do. You're a good God. You forgive me, which is true. He is a good God, which is true. He can and does forgive us. But what is the heart that says that? Now, there's, there are remedies for all of these. The remedies for, for having that easy, breezy repentance life where you just sin and say, I'll sin and go back to God later. Here, here's one of the remedies that I've used that is recommended. Think about how you're going to feel about that sin in two hours. If I do this sin now, how am I going to feel about it in just two hours? Because I'll tell you what, no one feels good two hours later. No one. No one. Maybe like a revenge murder might feel good two hours later, but not five hours later, and for sure not five weeks later when you're in jail. But, but think about your sins. And I've done many. Sinning, any sexual sin, you never like two hours later think, that was a great idea. 
screaming at your spouse, screaming at your kids, scre- kids screaming at your parents. Never, especially if you're a kid screaming at, my, at me as a parent, they never think two hours later, what a great idea I had. No, they don't. How do you have a, re- what, what remedy do you have? Oh, how about this, this temptation of Satan? Self-pity and suffering. Have you ever wondered why there's so many like high-profile, powerful men in the world specifically who fall to adulterous affairs? Have you ever wondered about that? Because they say, well, I do all these things. My life is so difficult in this place and this place, and I just needed this for me. And some of us, maybe you take, you have this self-pity that says, I've gone through this. I just need that. And that doesn't have to be this high-powered affair. This could be how addictions creep in. I had a rough day. I just need to, and the suburban word of the day is, unwind. Right? In case you're not tracking with that one, unwind is fishhawk code word for bottles of wine. I just want to make sure that we're doing the exegesis of unwind. How do you, how do you have a remedy for that? from having self-pity and suffering. You don't look at your own suffering. You look at Christ's suffering on the cross. You don't wallow and feel bad for yourself. You say, Lord, help me to lift up and support and love others. And always looking to the gospel are the remedies for these things. Looking to what Jesus did. Looking to what Jesus gives you. Looking to Jesus who died for you instead of the blessings you get from being a follower. Because that's another temptation of Satan is to love the gifts over the giver. These are the things that Satan will use to draw you in. And some of you experience this. Those are the temptations. The accusations are the things that Satan will say to you or that demons will say to you to push you out. Now, I need you to understand a couple of things. Satan is a temporal being. He can't be everywhere all at once. That's only God, okay? Everyone point to where I am right now. Where am I? I'm right here. Keep your fingers pointing there. Now I'm over here. Where am I not? I'm not right there. Satan is the exact same. In, in some sense that we are. He doesn't have a body like we do, but he can't be everywhere. If Satan is attacking me, he can't be attacking you. His demons can attack me and you because he has an army of demons. About a third of the angels rebelled with him. But if you go to a Pentecostal church or a charismatic church, or if you go to my old school, I have professors that swore to me like Satan was attacking them. And I'm like, bro, if Satan's attacking you, who's on Billy Graham? Because you're just you, and no offense, but you ain't Billy. This is back in Billy's heyday. And now, don't get me wrong either. I don't know what Satan knows. I do know he's been doing this for thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. I do know that he's crafty. He knows which baits to use. He knows which people to chase. And he's not necessarily going for the high-profile people that we think are super Christians. He's going to go for, and the demons are going to go for, the people who are on the verge of turning to God in a new, a fresh way that will be filling with God's Spirit and walking away from these temptations, from people who will be faithful to do what God has called them to do. Not faithful to necessarily be great, but faithful to be faithful. The accusations that God is going to help you fight against from the enemy are these ones. Satan will present the difficulty of performing religious duties often. It's too hard. You don't have the time to do that. I don't have the time to do this. A Bible reading plan again in January? How many times will we do this? Going to church? It's 42 degrees out. I don't know if my seat heaters are working. You know, isn't it weird? It's weird to me that, like, it's raining, and people, like, on a small group night or whatever, and people are like, I can't go out in the rain. 
which I've seen the way some of you drive. That's probably better for all of us. But it's, it's odd how there are, there are times where, as, as a pastor, we know church schedules, okay? Mother's Day, more people. Why? The mothers love Jesus and force their family to come to church begrudgingly. Super Bowl Sunday, in California especially, when the Super Bowl's right there, do you think it's a high-attended day or a low-attended day? A low-attended day because people are worshiping sweaty 23-year-old men instead of the creator of the universe. Seriously, I'm no joke. What, why couldn't you, why didn't we gather for worship today? Because we were concerned they were going to run out of avocados at the Publix. We do it. I do it. Father's Day, high or low day? Low day. That's why we buy bacon and hand it out for free on Father's Day. We're like, okay, how can we get dads to be engaged with Jesus? We literally have to bait fathers on their special day to come worship Jesus. It breaks my heart. Because Satan says, let's, let's just do, just sleep in. Just sleep in. Don't worry about it. Don't read, you don't need to read. I mean, how much do you need to meditate on your Bible? Don't meditate on it like Psalm 1 says. Just read it like a reading plan and check your box. Doesn't matter if you remember anything, think about it ever again. Just prayer. No one's got time for prayer. Satan will accuse you of all these things. He'll put these thoughts into your mind to press you away from God. Another scheme of Satan is that he will get you to remember your sins more than your Savior. I've read a bajillion parenting books. When I was a youth pastor, I didn't have kids, so I thought, to understand the mind of a child, I must read parenting books. So I read every parenting book that I could get my hands on when I was like in my early 20s and late teens. And one of the things that just came up again and again and again and again, and it annoyed me, it came up so much, was this idea of how much you compliment versus criticize your children. Because I didn't have kids. I didn't understand how difficult that battle would be. I thought, of course you want to compliment your kids more than you criticize them. And the books would say, for every, for every one criticism, give at least like five compliments. Otherwise, your kid will end up being a destroyed monster and have to have psychological help forever. Uh, a gift for my kids. I'm a pastor. They already need psychological help forever. <laughs> You're welcome, Jackson and Silas. There's something, there's a remedy for this, though. And here's an interesting thing. You can probably all remember a time that someone said something to you that just cut you to the heart. Didn't matter if they'd said, you're beautiful, lovely, wonderful, you serve, you're amazing, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They could say that one thing, and it sticks in you. There's a theological reason why it does that, and it's why Satan uses it. Because inherently, we all know that we have brokenness inside of us. We all know that on some level, we're a fraud internally. So when someone says a criticism, the reason why it sticks, the reason why in 20 years you can have people say a billion great things to me, and then there's those like four criticisms that I just hold on to with bitterness. Because I know in my heart that there's something broken, and Satan uses that in you and in me. And he says, let's just lodge a criticism at them, and let's get them to think about their sins more than their Savior. In the same way that we parent, the remedy for this is to to take our mind off of the, the negativity and put it on Jesus, not put it on the positive things, because that will just turn us into religious moralists. But to say, Lord, you are so good that you see my sin and you love me anyways. Despite me, you love me. Lord, you're so good that you saw my darkness and you died for me and gave me your life forever. And you begin looking at your Savior every time that Satan says, but look at that sin. You say, no, 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 I'm looking at my Savior. You can look at your sin, you can look at other people's sin, you could point the finger all you want. But when Jesus 
looks at your sin and mine, when Jesus looks at the sin of your spouse or your friend or the, your, your coworker or the student next to you at the desk, and you want to say, oh, they're so bad, they do this, they have that issue, Jesus looks at them and says, I will die for them. I love them. I love them. I love them. I will die for them. Look at your Savior more than your sin. Here's another accusation. This one Satan whispers with such poison in the church. You are good enough. You're good enough. I ask people, are you going to heaven? And so often, so often, this, and this is why I ask this question, because I know right off the bat, if they understand the good news of Jesus or if they're religious people, are you going to heaven? What's an answer that I might hear? Yeah, I think so. They'll say, I think so, because I'm a good person. <laughs> Wrong. Steve, do we have another answer? Who is, you are an evil person who needs Jesus? This is Satan's whisper in the church. And it's in the church that I hear it most often. Are you going to heaven? I think so because I'm a good person. I'm here to tell you the good, beautiful, glorious news. You are a bad, terrible person. You have chosen to worship other things, just like Satan chose to worship other things, just like Adam and Eve chose to worship themselves and other things. You said, I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to worship, treasure, and trust anything besides God. We have all done it, which makes us a bad person, and we need to be okay with letting those words come out of our mouth. Because when we can finally say, I am not good enough. When I ask you, are you going to heaven? You say, yes, thanks be to Jesus alone. That's it but we get so caught up in this accusation. And even if you don't believe that in your head, because as some of you, I know, you're, you've been here a long time, you're like, I know this, I know this. That's not me. I would never say that. I know it's all because of Jesus. But we believe it in our hearts. And I can, I can prove it. When you do something good, you think God loves you more in that moment. When you do something bad, you think God's about to smite you with a bolt. That's the same exact belief, but that's veiled underneath our religion of, uh, of moral behavior and our, our modifying and working on ourselves. If you do something bad and you think, now God is just going to crush me, now God must not love me, then you are believing this in your heart, that you are good enough in your own ways. You're resting in your performance, which is what Satan wants to get you to do as well. One of his tactics is going to say to some of you, to you type A people, hey, read your Bible, do your prayer thing, do your quiet time, and I want you to trust that that is what is earning you God's love, that that is what is getting you in the family, and we'll do it. We'll, we'll read our Bible and feel so accomplished. We'll have our prayer time. We'll, we'll even go to solitude together. And we'll pray for an hour. And we'll come back to the group and say something profound. And we'll say, man, wasn't I profound today? Because we'll rest in that little whisper that says, you're good. You've got this. You're, you're a better Christian person next to you. You can sing. You know the Bible. You can teach things. People listen to you. You serve more. You volunteer with kids. We could rest in that performance. You're a preacher. Another thing that Satan does is he reminds saints of your frequent relapse into sin. Any of you guys have this experience? You're about to go do something, and there's a voice in your ear that says, who are, who are you to even talk about Jesus? Who are you to even sing this song? You don't even, you, what were you doing last night? What were you thinking last night? Now you're here singing to God. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what you've been doing? 
Don't you remember these things you've been doing, worshiping other things? You've been trusting yourself. You haven't prayed for all of 2019, and now all of a sudden you're going to be a super saint. You know you're not going to make it. These are Satan's accusations. He just throws them at you. Throws them at you. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. When Satan speaks a lie through Peter, he says, get behind me. Satan is a being who holds no power over the children of God if we choose to combat by faith. Romans says that we are to put on Christ, and that's another way of putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation. It's not our salvation, it's Jesus's that he gives to us, the breastplate of righteousness. It's not our righteousness, it's Jesus's righteousness he gives to us, the belt of truth. It's not that we are so true and amazing and we know all these things, it's that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we put on his belt of truth, the feet for the gospel of readiness to carry the message of God. It's not our message, it's God's message. The shield of faith that puts out the arrows shot at us. These arrows we combat with faith. No, Satan, I don't believe that my sin is bigger than my Savior. Boom. No, Satan, I don't believe that my performance makes God loves me more. God loves me three times 3,000, and he's always going to love me that way, whether I'm good, bad, ugly, or pretty. He loves me forever. And then we have the sword of the Spirit. We fight by the Spirit. We don't fight with our own strength. We don't fight by saying, you know what I'm going to do? Now I'm going to really battle the demons. I'm going to fast and pray so that I'm spiritually strong. Don't try to get spiritually strong. Accept being what David was. He was so little, he couldn't fit into Saul's armor. He put on the armor, and it didn't fit him. It was like if Jared wore my clothes. No offense. It just wouldn't look right. It looked like those Bieber shirts that are way down to his knees or whatever, you know? And my pants on him. What's your inseam? 32. My pants would go from his belly button to his feet to his next feet. We should try this sometime. It would be a good sermon illustration. It didn't fit David. So what did David do? He said, I don't need this. I have the Lord. The Lord, the God of Israel is on my side. The God of Israel is on your side. It does, you don't have to shiny up. Now here's the deal. There are tools that are helpful. Memorizing the Bible is helpful. Why do I know that? Because it says it in the Bible. Knowing what, God, knowing what God's word says is helpful to throw back when Satan attacks you. How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus did. Satan threw a lie. Jesus threw a verse. Satan threw a lie. Jesus threw a verse. So we should know it. And they're helpful tools, but they're not the primary tools. The primary tools are putting on Jesus all around you and having the sword of the Spirit. It's not the sword of Ryan's Spirit. It's the sword of the Holy Spirit. It is much stronger. It can cut through things that you and I cannot see. The Spirit can see where spiritual beings are that the servant saw, that Elisha saw, that you and I often ignore. There are demons around us, and there are ways to fight them, and there are accusations that will come. In my years of ministry, I've come across a few things that have disturbed me and perturbed me. One of them are people that have said, at night when I wake up, I feel like something is pressing me into my bed, and I can't get out of it. It's suffocating me. I've had people run from rooms into dark places screaming for, for someone to get out of their room when no one else was in there. And you're like, well, I don't know if I believe that. Fine, you don't have to believe it if you don't want to. But if you believe in a loving God because you read it in the Bible, this book doesn't, doesn't allow us to divide it. The same book that tells us about a loving God and a Savior who died for your sins on a cross is the same book that tells us that there is a person named the Satan who rebelled against God and is leading a rebellion against God, is crafty, is trying to tempt you away, is trying to accuse you out of the faith, 
and he's doing it all around us right now. And if you think, well, you know, maybe in Asia and Africa, because in those countries, people have zero problem believing it. They look at us and be like, how can they not believe it? And I even read books uh, about evil, and I, I wanted to see how secular philosophers and sociologists and psychologists were dealing with the concept of evil. And there was, there was one secular uh, psychologist. He basically said, look, I've been looking at evil, like the Holocaust and like serial killers, and I am at the point where I'm just going to say, it's, it can't be psychological only. It can't be sociological only. It can't be just your education or your background. There's got to be something more because the evil that I've seen in some of these people is just from within them. It's just there. And they're not broken psychologically. They know it and they choose it and they run with it. And it's the same in all of us because there are evil forces at work. The evil forces are roaming some of the evil forces are stationary. In Daniel chapter 10, one of my favorite short stories, Daniel prays to God, and God sends an angel, Gabriel, to tell Daniel the answer to his prayer. And it says that the angel was stopped by the prince of the heir of Persia. There was an, an, a demonic being, a fallen angel, that was strong enough to stop one of God's little messenger angels until God's big boy angel, Michael, showed up. Isn't that a weird story? And it just kind of flies right by in Daniel chapter 10. Well, I came to answer your prayer, Daniel, but this little demon guy, he stopped me. But then Michael, my big brother, came. He's the one with the sword. I'm just a postal person, you know, and then I got to go. And I just, like, read that for the first time, and I remember thinking, this is crazy. There's a demon just, like, over Persia? There's a demon over Fishhawk, over Tampa? I don't know how the rankings go. But I know that not all demons are created equal. Satan was the most, so he was second in command. He's powerful. And he's like the, the pretty boy. Michael is the fighter boy. And then there's Gabriel, who couldn't pass that prince of the air of Persia, but then Michael could say, you go, Gabriel. I've got this. So th this week, here's what I want to do. Here's one of those pastor things. I've prayed for a couple people's houses already. I just go by and I pray pray blessings over people's houses against spiritual darkness and evil. If you want me to, to do this at your house or me and some of the other people, staff, elders, just text me your address and your name. My, my number's in your bulletin. 813-444-7170. There you go. You can text it right here under the Twin Creeks, Twin Creeks Assisted Living. Just say, here's my name, here's my address, and what I want to do is this week I'm just going to, when I drive around, I'm going to plot on a map as I do my things. I'm just going to stop at your house and pray. Whether You don't have to be home going to walk around and pray because I believe that there are going to be angels of fire surrounding some of our houses because we will need it for the oncoming battles that will be levied against us. And if you don't want prayer for that, um, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, maybe you're comfortable. You're like, I'll pray for that. That's cool. I am going to let you know, though, that my prayers are working lately. Okay? So the Bible says a couple things. It says, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. And yesterday, Miss um, Ree was really sick. She was, like, taking all the medicines. I don't know if I could be there tomorrow. And it, she was super ill. And here's, I just tested my prayer. Yesterday, I said, Lord, Ree needs to be better for, for Naomi's birthday party and for chapel on Sunday morning because she just needs to be. And then I saw her coming into the birthday party last night. She said, you feeling better? I feel better. And in my mind, I was like, my prayer worked. I must be understanding my wife. That's what the Bible says. If I understand her, my prayers will work. They won't be hindered. It's, it's no, there's no magic. But I will tell you this. I have more time to pray than a lot of you do. And I've prayed 
storehouses and I've prayed in these ways and I've thought through schemes of Satan. And if you text, that's why I'm saying text me your name because whatever I know about you after I finish stalking your Facebook and Instagram, I'm going to bring all of that information to pray over your house. Okay? Let's not be like Elisha's servant fretting in a panic. Let's ask God to reveal things to us this year and how we can fight. Let's ask God to give us that vision to see the unseen at moments. And in one of these days, I believe it will happen or has happened to some of you already, as it's happened to me recently, where you can walk into a room and feel that darkness is there. And you can pray and feel the darkness flee. Sometimes I walk into a room and the darkness is there and I pray and it's still there. So then I flee. <laughs> and so let's all get out of here, fam. But let's make this a year where we tune into that. Because all, all we're going to be driving this year is, is more of the simple faith. What people who don't yet believe are you praying for? How are you going to live for Christ as a person of the word? And what does it look like to live with the spirit of God, battling all of these things around us that we don't see and things that we do? It's a simple faith type of year, but it's the simple stuff that Satan will often try to confound within us. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and your love endures forever. Lord, we in the West, we're so out of tune with spiritual war. Tune us in, Lord. Open eyes to see angels on fire protecting us. Give us the ability and the discernment to know when, when we ought to bend the knee in prayer, when we ought to fight with words of Scripture, when we ought to call a brother or sister to lean on. We're not in this battle alone, Lord, and, and this life in Christ is not a playground, God, that you've instituted and equipped us to survive the battleground. So help us to see the schemes of Satan. Help us to see when he's trying to distract us. Help us to see when he's trying to discourage us. Help us to see when he's trying to make us divided or full of doubt or deceived. Help us to see how he hides the hook in the shiny bait. Help us to see when he tries to get us to look at our sins and not you, our Savior. Help us to see, Lord. Give us your spirit this week, I pray, in radical ways. In Jesus' name, amen.